Hey everybody and welcome to the UFC Fight Night Barboza vs. Lee Aftermath and this is going to be the pilot episode of Mixed Martial Analysis. This used to be the punchline and I was thinking about the name and I was like man that's just so fucking broad. Right? It could apply to comedy. I saw a couple podcasts on iTunes with the same name that we're talking about boxing. I just felt like this name is obviously a play on MMA and it'll help reach the demographic. Like if you clicked on the punchline and were expecting some comedy and you came to this, and I start talking about fighting, you'd be sadly disappointed, because I'm not fucking funny at all. So, I thought a name change was appropriate. I thought it was almost necessary, so I decided to go with it. And I thought it was somewhat clever, right? And the point is that it's just gonna... You know what it's about when you see the title. That was my main focus. Um, So, I just... I was was gonna give a shout-out to Tanner Hall and Wisham Luck today. He had a big tournament coming up. But... I just got a text from him, and I guess he popped his rib. Well, I think he popped it a couple weeks ago, and it's just not quite ready to go yet. So uh, I think he had to pull out, which fucking sucks, because Tanner competes all the goddamn time, and I know he was looking forward to this one, but, I mean, it's your health, right? And if you're in this for, if you want to have a, he can, like I just said, he competes a lot, and if you want to preserve yourself and have a health, you don't, you don't compete when you got shit like that going on. It can fuck you up even more and then keep you sidelined for even longer. And you're, not, you're probably not going to be performing as well as you want to either. So, I know that's frustrating, but probably, I think it's a smart move on his end not to do it. But, uh, also, good luck to the whole Revolution BJJ team who is competing in U.S. grappling in Richmond today. Kick some ass. Um, let's hop on into some news. Derek Lewis is going to be fighting Francis Ngannou at UFC 226. And for this fight, you might as well just fucking throw wrestling out the window. I don't think you're going to see any double leg shot, any single leg. You're not going to see any setups for takedowns. They're just going to be throwing bombs at each other. And I don't necessarily like this fight for Derek Lewis because I don't I don't like a fight where you have to stand up with Francis Ngannou at all. I think Stipe laid out a blueprint for how to beat this guy, and that's what you should stick to. Oh, but if you get prideful and you're Derek Lewis, I just think it's a dangerous fight for Derek Lewis because Francis Ngannou has incredible knockout power like the amount of force that he's able to put behind a punch is mind-blowing it doesn't even seem real he's a fucking freak man I, 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 it'll be an entertaining fight i can tell you that i think it's going to be a fun fight i just don't think you're going to see lewis go out and put on like a, a wrestling clinic or anything i think it's going to be a stand-up war and i'm going to lean toward francis and god on almost every single stand-up war not that lewis can't win he's He's beat some big names, man. Derek Lewis is very good. But Francis is nasty on the feet, and I think that's a dangerous fight to take if you're if you're Derek. But shout out to him for taking it, man. That's a You gotta have some ball. And you know, it's almost even more ballsy because you know that Derek Lewis is probably going out the mentality that he's gonna trade with this guy. Whoo! It'll be fun, but god damn, I would I would not want to stand in front of either of these guys, but Francis and Gone, who was just like a alien life form or some shit you know i would not want to i would not want to get hit by one of his fucking punches actually uh, i'd I'd almost rather fight francis than a lot of guys in the ufc because you know it's going to be quick he's just going to knock your ass out you know what i mean you don't have a whole lot to worry about he's just going to fucking flatline you just let him hit you once and your lights will go out wake back up whole thing's over you don't have to get through a whole lot of pain you probably have a headache when you wake up but better than getting mauled by someone for Three or four rounds, however many rounds, you know what I mean? Uh, by the way, I'm not saying that I would 
last last more than 20 seconds than any fight with the UFC fighter. I'm aware of that. I'm just saying that you're going to take a beating from a lot of guys, and Ngannou's probably just going to kill you. So pick your poison, right? Get knocked the fuck out or get mauled. I think I'd rather get knocked out quickly. Anyway, Max Holloway's also fighting Brian Ortega on this card. This card is stacked. UFC 226 and UFC 225 are both stacked. Uh, Holloway versus Ortega is a big fight because Brian Ortega is undefeated. He just knocked out Frankie Edgar. Like, lifted him off his feet with that uppercut. Or Here's the problem for Ortega that he's going to have to overcome. Ortega is a guy who throughout his career has relied on patience and finding openings at very, I mean, at moments sometimes where he would have lost the fight if he didn't find that opening. He's a very patient guy, but... It's gonna. He, can you find that opening against Max Holloway? Max doesn't leave. All, he's a hard guy to time. He's switching things up a lot. He can fight while moving backwards. He can fight while coming forward. He's good on the ground. I don't. He's not on Ortega's level on the ground, but I don't think anyone is. Ortega might be the best fighter off of his back in the world, not just at the 145 pound division in the world. It's a good fight. And it makes you wonder if Brian Ortega is going to have some strategy to get Holloway to the ground and try to slice through his guard and stuff. Uh, I don't know. That's that gut feeling. Just reading that fight announcement, I'm leaning towards Holloway, but just because Holloway's won like 11 in a row, and like I said, his, he doesn't leave a whole lot of openings. Like those openings that Ortega has relied on so far throughout his career, I don't know if they're going to be there against Max. Max is very good. Um, yeah, 226 is stacked. I was going to say Ozdemir and Shogun are fighting in Chile, but I think, I'm pretty sure that fight got scrapped. Um, what else do we got? Oh, Matt Serra got inducted into the Hall of Fame, and there's a lot of debate on whether he deserved it or whether he's just boys with Dana White, so he got a free ride in. I think Matt Serra deserves it. I think it, if you look at everything that he's done for the sport, he's made a giant impact on it. He's coached some great guys in addition to his fighting career. And he got put into the pioneer wing, right? So I think that makes sense. He uh, he knocked out GSP in a massive upset. I mean, I know he lost in the rematch, but Matt Serra's done a lot for the sport, man. I don't think... I, I, don't get me wrong. Do I think the fact that he's friends with Dana White helped boost him into the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. I think. I think. I don't think you can deny that. I think he got a little bit of an extra push in, but I don't think it was like... One of these things where Matt Serra shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Did you put him in because he's friends with Dana White? I don't think that's true at all. I think that Serra deserves to be in, and did, he might have got in a little sooner and maybe got a little bit of backing from Dana, but I think he was going to get in regardless at some point. Why the fuck's it matter when it happens? Um, we also need to talk about this Ricky Simone and Dvalishvili finish. If you didn't see it, Dvalishvili was winning the fight against Ricky Simone the entire time for literally... I mean, 13 minutes, 14 minutes, and with about 50 seconds left, Ricky Simone locks up a guillotine and mounts Dvalishvili and is cranking on it for 50 seconds. And Dvalishvili's sitting on the bottom, like, moving his legs to let you know when he's still in it. And he was moving his legs up until the final bell. Ricky Simone rolls off on the bell rings, and Dvalishvili is clearly having a hard time coming to He's breathing, but it's only for a couple seconds. He's breathing, and then he reacts and points to the guy and, like, tries to get up and fall. Like, kind of, they help him back down. The doctors are in the cage looking at him, and they end up rolling the fight in Ricky Simone's favor. Gave him a stoppage win, a TKO, I believe. And if you listen to Mark Goddard and John McCarthy, 
They seem to think that the right call was made. And those are intelligent guys who know what the fuck they're doing. I think Goddard is the best ref in the UFC. Him and McCarthy. I think that Herb Dean's very good too, but I think he's been slipping. I think Goddard's the best. Like, when I watch Goddard, he very rarely makes mistakes. And usually, I saw a post by John Anik too. Like, usually you defer knowledge to those guys because they know what the fuck they're talking about. But in a situation like this, man, this is tough. Because, think about this. If you had a guy mounted and you were beating his face in until the bell rang and he got up and he was wobbling around everywhere and he fell back down it's not like he can't answer the bell there's no more rounds after this and this is how i think you should analyze it well you can't because it's a hypothetical i was going to say that you should analyze it if volishvili could have gotten back up and answered the fourth round bell had there been a fourth round but there wasn't if this was a five round fight we would have a much better we'd have a way better understanding of what the outcome should be, right? Because if he can't answer the bell, he can't fucking fight. But in a three-round fight, the fight's over. And you dominated most of the fight. And you rolled off and did it take you a couple seconds to come to? Yeah. But like I said, if you had someone mounted and were beating the fuck out of them, and they were like a little bit wobbled and rocked and didn't, they were disoriented when they got up, they didn't lose the fight because they made it to the final bell. And Dvalishvili was kicking at the final bell. It's weird... To me, it looked like Volishvili was literally past. He, he went out, I think, but very, very briefly. And he came back too quick enough that I think Volishvili should have got the win. I really do. I, I, not really do. This is a problem. The MMA is a young sport, and it's doing a lot of sorting out. And problems like this, they need to come up so that we can address them. Um, yeah. I don't know. They'll implement a rule. They'll figure it out, they'll implement a rule, and then only half of the athletic commissions will adopt it or whatever. It's One of the biggest problems that we have is the fact that the we don't have a unified rule set in every state that you fight in. That's so strange. It's not like like if you were in the NFL and you were like, all right, guys, well, like my favorite team is the Eagles, so we'll just use them for example. Like, all right, guys, hey, we're heading out to play San Francisco this weekend. Uh just keep in mind that when you're in California, you can't do this, this. That's fucking ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense and no sports work. The closest example I can think of, I don't even know. I don't know much about baseball and I'm probably getting the division wrong, but I don't think pitchers can hit in the American League, right? That's probably the closest thing I can think of, but even that is well defined. We have all these different rules. And you'll hear them say before the fight, they have not adopted the unified rule set. Well, then how the fuck is it unified? We need to figure that out. There need every. This shit needs to be solved. Like I said, there is no other sport that you travel from state to state and you have to learn a different set of rules in. And I understand that fighting's unique and that, like, I just don't think you should force fighters to learn different rules. It doesn't make any sense to me. There should be one rule book that every athletic commission adopts. I don't know. That needs to be solved. I think it's ridiculous to expect coaches and fighters to know where they're, they have enough to worry about. They're trying to go in there and get in a fucking fist fight with something. And when you get into a fight like that, you know, when you're, especially if you're rocked or something, the rules all might start merging together and you just don't know what's legal and what's not and you start throwing stuff. I tend to think that that's what happened with Eddie Alvarez. I don't think that he, I don't think he's like a malicious person or a bad person. I think it's just like when you're in a state like that and you're disoriented and you don't really know what the fuck's going on, it's not like you're thinking, all right, you're just trying to survive. You're not thinking like, okay, what state am I in? Is it like, 
I, you can make the argument that it's the fighter's responsibility to know the rules, but I think that I don't think they should have to do that. I think that the rules should be very well understood, very well defined, and universal across the United States and the world, probably. Uh, the world's kind of hard. I know when you get another kind, but at least the United States, we could figure that much at least out, right? Like if you're fighting in the U.S., you know what the fuck you're in for here, and then slowly move toward having the entire world agree upon something like that. All right. Um, so coming into this card, I was three and six since we started keeping track of the fights that I picked. Uh, on this one, I went six now. I didn't do too goddamn bad. And it, I, I say that, right? But like a lot of the ways that the people won, especially David Branch. I thought David Branch was going to play a clinch and like, get into the clinch and take people down. It's not like I knew how they were going to... It's not like I picked how they were going to win correctly, right? So did I really fucking know? I think it's just a matter of luck on this one. But that puts me at 9-6 and six overall for the year, so we're finally back in the green for the picks. Betting. This one pissed me off. I would never take the risk on this, right? But if you would have parlayed all these bets together and bet like 100 bucks, you would have made 1700 using the picks that I had. And I would never do that because I'm not that confident in picking fights because I know that they're just so... It's so hard to get them right, and they're so unpredictable, and there's so many, there's just so many different things that can happen. And if you look at the Barboza versus Lee fight, that's a good example because Lee was dominating the whole fight, and Barboza is a guy who can change things like that. So, I don't know. I I, I never, I almost never bet on fights, but it's still depressing when you see that you picked them all right and you could have made a lot of money, right? But it's not like I would have taken the risk anyway. Um, that brings us to negative $13.04 overall on the year. So we're still in the red, but we're getting back, right? And the picks are in the green, which is good. All right, let's recap the fights. Uh, Dan Hooker versus Jim Miller. Dan Hooker landed a brutal knee on Jim Miller. And Jim Miller is a guy who's getting up there in years, man. He's been around the game for a long time. But I think he's dropped like four or five in a row now. And he's one of those guys who... And I hate to say it. I'm gonna. You're gonna hear me say this a lot about a lot of the fighters who I grew up watching. Like when I first got into the UFC, I was in it in like the Chuck Liddell days and the Rampage days, and when Rampage and Rashad Evans were on the old that kind of shit, right? Like, but those guys are starting to phase out now. And Jim Miller is one of those guys who they're just getting kind of swallowed up by this new wave of MMA and this new wave of athlete that's coming in. Dan Hooker looked brilliant, and I think the move up to 155 from 145 was the best decision he could have made for his career. He looked so fucking good, and that knee that he landed was beautiful. And you don't see you don't, Miller's a tough motherfucker, though. You don't see him get knocked out like that often. He's always in the fight. He's always pushing forward. He's always being aggressive. Also, I thought this was a fight that Hooker was going to win moving backwards. And tagging Miller with some counters. And I thought he'd win by decision. Because I think I said in the last one, Miller's tough, man. He's going to be hard to put away. Hooker said, fuck that. Backed him up against the fence and landed that beautiful knee. Hooker looks good. And you can even, when you look at Hooker's frame and his body and everything, he looks so much better at 155. He's so much healthier. You can tell he's not depleting himself. He looks like a more complete fighter. Things are coming together for him more smoothly. Just looks good, man. I'm excited to see what this guy can do at 155. He's going to be stepping up into some, not quite top 15, but he's going to be fighting guys that are going to get him on the brink of being ranked pretty soon. He's going to keep an eye on this kid. He's going to be fun to watch. Um, Aljamain Sterling fought Brett Johns and won in a pretty dominant decision. Uh, Sterling's good too. 
135 might be the second best division in the UFC. I don't think a lot of people would agree with me, but you got Dominic Cruz, Thomas Almeida, TJ Dillashaw, John Lineker, Jimmy Rivera, Marlon Moraes, uh Cody Garbrandt. You got a lot of talent. Aljamain Sterling, right? This Brett Johns kid was undefeated up until he fought Sterling. A lot of talent at 135. That bantamweight division is stacked. And I think it's relatively new. I mean, it's not real new, right? But it's kind of new. It's not as solidified as 185, 205, 170 and shit. So I don't know that it gets all the credit. I think that's a lot of the reason that Mighty Mouse, people are kind of skeptical about how good he really is. Like what level of competition is he facing? Um, 135 is kind of in the same boat. And uh, I don't know. I think I personally think it's the second best regarding talent and depth. Not just the talent at the top, but the depth of the talent. It's a very tough division. Rafael Sunsau's in there. Yeah, man, there's a lot of killers in there. Who else is Burgos? Is he in there? I might have that wrong. I might have that. He might be at 45. Anyway, point is, very good division. And for Aljamain Sterling to pick up a win like that over an undefeated... He just won his last fight by calf slicer. Brett Johns did. And Sterling showed you a little bit of everything. He showed you that he's good on the feet. Sterling has very good head movement. He's competent on the ground. Shut down a guy in John. That was his specialty, right? Jiu-jitsu and stuff. And Sterling kind of shut it down, man. Sterling's very good. Um, next, let's move on to the middleweight bout between Tiago Santos and David Branch. David Branch hit Santos with a big right hand and turned the lights off. I thought if someone was going to win by knockout in this fight, it would be Tiago Santos. He's big. He's aggressive. He's marching forward. And my initial thoughts on this were that David Branch was going to win this fight by being uh, being smart and stuffing a lot of that aggression that uh, Santos brings to the table by pushing him up against the fence, the fence and negating some space and stuff that's going to give him the ability to land these massive bombs that he lands. And that was, I mean, he got him up against the fence, but he finished it with punches. People forget how fucking good David Branch is, man. He defended the 185 title in World Series of Fighting and the 205 title. We held them both simultaneously and defended them both. It's very hard to do. He lost to Rockhold, but goddamn, man, Rockhold is... I mean, we're talking upper echelon of that 185-pound division. Luke Rockhold is scary good. And you've got, like, up at the top, you've got Rockhold, Romero, Whitaker. Weidman's still up there, right? He's kind of flirting around up there. I mean, for that to be his second fight in his return to the UFC, that's a tall order. Luke Rockhold is no joke, man. It would have been very impressive. And Branch had him hurt. He hit him with a, you know what, he was landing those combat. Rockhold hangs that chin in the air sometimes and it gets him tagged. David Branch is good. I think he's only lost four or five fights. He won a ton in a row in World Series of Fighting. Guy who shouldn't be overlooked. He's a veteran. He got experience. Been around the game for a while. He knows what the fuck he's doing. And he did fight a smart fight. I thought he fought a very smart fight. Just didn't win the way I expected him to win. I thought he'd rely a lot on his grappling, and he didn't. Uh, next, Justin Willis versus Chase Sherman. So this fight, I was kind of right. I thought that Willis moved a lot more than he did. Like when I watched his fights, for some reason, I remember I remember thinking that he moved a lot. And it's not necessarily that he moves a ton. It's just that he, if you saw it, though, he is smooth when he moves. And he moves his head way better than Sherman did. Sherman has that terrible tendency of sticking his head up in the air. And it gets him tagged. 
if he doesn't move his head off the center line a lot. And if you go back and watch that fight, every big shot that Willis landed on Chase Sherman was because Sherman's chin was hanging up in the air. It's If he can correct that problem, Sherman's going to be very good because Sherman actually looked lighter on his feet than Willis did. Willis doesn't move around as much as him, but he just... Keeping your head still is dangerous, especially in the heavyweight division. It's going to get you clocked a lot. It just... I don't know. I thought... I thought Sherman looked good. If the, There are just little things that that guy can clean up that are going to push him to the next level. If he can do that, he's going to be fine. I, I know he's got some losses, but their thing... And heavyweight, for some reason, man, it's like the older you get, the better you get at heavyweight. Um... And he had his moments too, you know what I mean. I thought he looked he, he he didn't look terrible. The biggest his biggest flaw is head movement. If you can just move that head and get some smoothness to it too, like you can't hang it here and move your feet around. His head moves with his body, right? And Willis is kind of like ducking and weaving and then coming over top with a big right hand. Much more, it's much more appeasing to the eye to watch. Even there's a big difference in in the the fluidity of the like there's a difference in the fluidity of the two and it's evident when they fought willis was able to capitalize on it and you know tough loss for sherman but move that fucking head man you're gonna be fine if you learn to move that head um next frankie edgar rematch versus cub swanson i think this is the first time in the ufc that frankie edgar got to fight in atlantic city and he picked up a big win and he more impressively, he did it all on his feet against a guy in Cub Swanson who's a dangerous striker. Very high level, coming at you from, he sets up shots really well. You know what I mean? Attacking from different angles. And to me, it looked like Cub Swanson was fighting a guy who we already knew beat him. It looked like he approached that fight like he was in there and Frankie was tagging him with some stuff and just using fundament, that Mark Henry fundamental boxing, right? And. It, it looked like Cub was just like, he had that look in his eye like, fuck, man, fuck, you already knew you lost to him. So everything that Frankie was landing, it was all just mounting up on Cub. I think if Cub would have let his hands go and trusted in it a little bit more, I think he would have done a lot better. And I don't, I'm not in Cub's head and I don't want to accuse him of anything, right? I love both of these guys. I'm obviously a bit, I, I'm a little biased towards Frankie Edgar, but... Frankie looked impressive. And I think that's an important win for Frankie because it gives him some confidence back. It gives him some momentum. And it gets that, yeah, that fucking taste out of your mouth from losing that last fight to Ortega where you got finished for the first time in your career. So, big fight. It was a big fight for both of these guys. And for Frankie to come out on top is, uh, and it kind of proves to you again that Frankie's still in the elite of that division. Frankie is very good. And he beats 90, I mean, he beats everyone but two or three people in that division, I think. He's 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 right up there. And he's competitive in every fight. He, he was beating Brian Ortega up until he got clipped. I mean, not that that really matters, right? But the point is, he's if you, a Frankie Edgar fight is never an easy fight, and most, most people have a hard time getting a victory over that guy. And Cub just looked a little bit defeated to me. He looked like he was moving back. And you... Like I said, there was just something about his demeanor in there where it was like every time Frankie landed, he was like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Instead of countering, it was just like the weight of everything kept sitting on him with every shot that Frankie landed. I, that was the feel that I got. I don't know if you guys agree. Maybe I'm fucking crazy, but it just felt like 
Cub went in there knowing that he already lost to Frankie instead of approaching it like, all right, it's a new fucking day. That was four years ago. Let's go in there and let these hands fly. Because when Cub starts throwing his hands around, man, it's it's hard to keep up with. And he's long, too, and he's good. When he would land shots on Frankie, Cub does a very good job of keeping you on the end of his punches. You know, which would have been good in that fight if he would have opened up because Frankie's a wrestler. You don't want to let Frankie start closing distance on you. Anyway, let's move on to the main event between Barboza and Lee. And Kevin Lee just proved to you that he is, without a doubt, one of the contenders in the 155-pound division. You already knew that, or you should have when you saw the Tony Ferguson fight. He mounted Tony, had Tony in trouble, dropped Tony. Kevin Lee is very good. And if you don't think that the staff infection that he was that he suffered during that Tony Ferguson fight had an impact on his performance, you're fucking high. Kevin Lee is... Oh, okay, it's hard to say that because... It's hard to say what I'm about to say because he lost to Tony. And Tony is very well-rounded too. I think that Kevin Lee does more things well in the lightweight division than any fighter in the world. If you look at Tony... Tony relies on his weirdness a little bit and coming from awkward angles. Not that that's a bad thing. I just think that, like, when you look at Lee fight, he's a great striker. He's got great kicks. He doesn't hesitate a lot. He capitalizes on opportunity. He's got great takedowns. I think he's more explosive than Habib. I'm not saying he's a better wrestler than Habib. I just think he's a better striker than Habib. I think he's a better wrestler than Connor. And Tony obviously showed you that he, I mean, he, he, caught Lee in a triangle and beat him, right? So it's hard to say that he's more well-rounded than Tony. But I think that staff infection had a lot to do with it. And Kevin Lee's only 25, man. He dominated Barboza. Dominated him. He got hit one time, I think, in the third round with that spinning kick. And still was able to recover from it after doing that fucking... He was wobbling all over the place. Looked like he was going to get knocked out. And still was able to land a takedown after it. Lee is tough. He's going to be hard to beat for anyone in that division. And I think that... Uh, I'm going to get shit for this. Habib has never fought anyone with a wrestling background like Kevin Lee. After seeing that fight against Barboza, I think that... I think Kevin Lee has a better chance to beat Habib than Connor does. I, I shouldn't say that because Connor's very good at fighting, moving backwards and countering. and He's got that wide stance that... And I think he can lure you into traps. And I think Habib relies on relentless pressure and Connor makes you pay for pressure. That's always the that's always the question, right? If you got a guy who applies a lot of pressure, can the guy going up against that pressure make you pay for it? Because if you can, if you can make a guy pay for it, they're going to start backing off a little bit. Uh, I think Lee's a tougher fight, though. I think if Lee doesn't have staph infection in that tone, he mounted Tony and everything, and then you just saw the exhaustion set in on him. And in a, tr- a triangle that he might have got out of at any other time or like recognized it coming earlier. I want to see Lee fight the top guys in the division healthy. And now, Habib, Tony, and Kevin all have wins over Edson Barboza. So you have you have a, a common denominator there, right, that you can kind of look at and say, okay, who won more impressively? And there's an argument for all of them. Lee was, Lee was here's, the, here's what impressed me about Kevin Lee. Lee was standing up with Barboza and winning a lot of the exchanges and then mixing in his takedowns. When you look at Habib, he was relying on immense, and, and Habib probably dominated him in a in a in a more decisive fashion, just because he took Barboza into his world and didn't let him out of it. Kevin Lee welcomed him into it, like 
he was like, all right, if you want, if you want to stand here a little bit, let's stand. Like, I'm not afraid to come into your world and do some striking. And he looked good doing it. That was the impressive part. And then Tony Ferguson has a finish over him though. But Tony, I mean, that was a back and forth fight for the first round when Tony fought Barboza. I think there's a good argument that Kevin Lee has the most impressive win over the only common opponent between all three of them. And again, I, I'm going to get shit for this. I just don't think that Habib has fought a really, really strong wrestler like Lee. Someone who's really going to stuff those takedowns. I've, uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, maybe. But even that, I don't think Rafael Dos Anjos is on the level of wrestling that Kevin Lee is. Or, like with a background like that, I think Kevin Lee's going to be very hard to take down if Habib fights him. We just haven't seen it yet. I know Habib's been running through people and he's 26 and 0 now or whatever, but. Man, I, I just have a feeling that Kevin Lee's the baddest motherfucker in the division. You take that staff infection away, I think he might beat Tony. I don't know, though. That's a what if, right? Shouldn't really speculate, but... Point is, I'm very impressed with Kevin Lee. He's got his shit together. He's on a roll right now. I mean, picking up a win over Barb... I mean, I know he lost to Tony, but... Jesus, he's, he's winning most of his fights. He's fighting high-level competition, and he's showing you each time that he's getting better. Um... Yeah, I, I can't. And if you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, he's he's a very intelligent kid, right? I think I think that import, that podcast that Joe did was very important because it got it gave Kevin a a platform to get his thoughts and stuff out there, and for people to hear him talk for an extended period of time, other than these interviews where he's trying to make make a name for himself, just talking shit. There's a plan to it, right? I love Kevin Lee. I think he's got, like, that swag and stuff, right? Like, he's calling people out, but it doesn't seem fake to me. Everything about Kevin Lee feels authentic. His shit talk, and he admits to it. He's like, my shit talking and stuff. Like, you got to talk shit if you want to make the money. And it comes natural to him. He's pretty good at it. If you look at that back and forth that he had with Tony Ferguson, that was hilarious on Fox after, who did Lee beat when they did that? I can't remember who fucking Lee beat, but he was going back and forth with Tony on Fox Sports 1 after the show. On the UFC, like, pre-fight show or whatever. Or post-fight show. Anyway, uh, let's figure out what's next for these guys. Let's start with the losers. Jim Miller. You, like I just said earlier, you guys are going to hear me say this a lot about guys who I grew up and got into the UFC and started watching. Jim Miller needs to think about retiring. You've lost four or five in a row. For, but I, I don't have a right to tell anyone to retire. I just hate seeing fighters that I love go in there and get outclassed by a new wave. And taking damage that I don't need to because here's the thing when I say I want them to retire I want them to retire because I feel like they still have a lot to offer to the sport and I don't want to see their brain start to deteriorate because they're taking knockouts like that all the time it's scary and you want to see him get out and live like a healthy life afterwards and continue coach especially a guy like Jim Miller with the reputation he has he's going to have an excellent post-fight career still being involved in MMA no doubt um I just think that Jim Miller is going to have a tough time hanging around with a lot of the guys at 155 anymore. It's going to be a rough go almost every fight you put him in. He might be competitive, but I just think he's going to get bested against a lot of those guys. Um, for Brett Johns, that was his first loss, and I think a guy a, a fight against Thomas Almeida would make sense. Almeida is a very high-level striker. Uh, Johns is, is like more of a submission artist, so it's an interesting matchup there. Almeida, I think, is coming off a loss. So... That's a fight for me that makes a lot of sense at 135. Tiago Santos, maybe a fight against Paulo Costa, the guy who knocked out Johnny Hendricks at UFC 217. Uh, 
Paulo Costa is another guy who's a big guy. He's aggressive. That can that that fight could be fireworks, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, Jay Sherman. I don't really know what to do with Jay Sherman because if you look at the records, I think a fight with Stefan Struve kind of makes a lot of sense. Struve has suffered some brutal knockouts, but he's still ranked pretty high, right? So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to give Jay Sherman a guy who's ranked higher than the guy that Justin Willis is going to fight. But I really don't know who you give him. He'll probably get someone a little lower on the totem pole than Struve, but I don't think Struve deserves to be ranked as high as he is. I, I hate to say that, but I just don't. Cub Swanson um, should fight. Who's I, I was going to say Ricardo Lamas, do another rematch for him, but I don't know who Lamas is fighting. I think he's booked, so maybe the loser of whoever Lamas is. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, so the loser of Ricardo Lamas and whoever he fights, Cub should get that guy. And for Edson Barboza, I think Justin Gaethje is a great fight. You've dropped two in a row now to Habib and uh, Kevin Lee. Um, you've also you have a loss to Tony sprinkled in there. Go fight Justin Gaethje. And Gaethje is a fight that if you're Barboza, if you're technical, it's, it's a fight that you most definitely could win. And for Gaethje, it's a fight that he could win as well if he implements his... That's interesting because it's going to come down to technicality versus brawling. And Gaethje, if he gets inside and starts landing those leg kicks and negates all the power that Barboza has in his kicks, that's an interesting matchup. And both of those guys are, you know, Gaethje's coming off that loss to Poirier, and before that he got knocked out by Alvarez. Barboza, like I said, has just lost two in a row. So that fight makes a lot of sense. I think that's the one that you're going to see next. For the winners, Dan Hooker. I like the fight against Paul Felter. And I think Felder, I think Felder might get booked against Ally Quinta, but the winner of that would make a lot of sense to me. Paul Felder, Ally Quinta, uh, let Hooker fight the winner. Aljamain Sterling, he keeps calling out Dominic Cruz, and I kind of get it. Cruz is injury prone, and he's not the most active fighter in the world, so it's not like it's hard. It's hard when all these fighters are continuing to stay active, and Cruz is on the sideline to keep him as high as he is in the rankings, but it's also hard to strip him of that ranking because his only his only loss in the UFC, I believe, is to Cody, right? So, I don't know. I Personally, I think Sterling should fight a guy like John Lineker. I don't think he should fight Cruz just yet, get one more win, and then start fighting this top three. But, like, Jimmy Rivera's booked up against Marlon Moraes, and he already lost to Moraes, right? So... He had a loss before this win. I think a fight with a guy like John Lineker who has some serious power in his hands at 135 is a big fight for him. Shows that you can overcome that, and then we'll start throwing you to the guys at the top of the totem pool. Um, David Branch, I think you should give him the winner of Jacare Souza and Calvin Gastelum. I think those are both a good test for him. Um, Gastelum, I think, most recently lost to Weidman and Jacare. Who did he just lose to? Or beat? Did he just beat Brunson? Anyway, whoever wins this fight, I think, is a really good fight for David Branch. Gastelum, man. I think if Gastelum could get his health and his weight and everything, so if he could put, if he could figure all of the pieces out to cut down to 170, that guy might be a fucking world champion. He is so fucking good. His footwork is nasty, and I think he's too small for 185. I think he saw that against Wadman. I don't think 185 is a good weight class for him. I really wish he would sort that out because I'd love to see a really healthy Gastelum at 170. But regardless, I think the win- I think David Branch should get the winner of that fight coming up soon. 
Uh, Justin Willis, maybe a guy like Junior Albini, the guy who wears the fucking diaper everywhere, right? I think that fight makes a lot of sense. Uh, Frankie Edgar. Oh, boy. I've been... The problem is, is you've got Jeremy Stevens and Joe's... 145 is kind of confusing right now. It's going to take some sorting out to figure out what Edgar's going to do. Jeremy Stevens is fighting Jose Aldo. And if Jeremy Stevens beats Aldo, he's probably going to get the title shot whether Max or Ortega win. But if Jose Aldo wins and Max Holloway defeats Ortega, then Frankie Edgar's probably going to get the title shot against Max because they've never fought. However, if Jose Aldo wins and Ortega wins, you might see Jose Aldo get the title shot against Brian Ortega. Does that make sense? It's kind of confusing, but uh, I think the only way Edgar gets a title shot is if if it's against Brian Ortega, I don't think it's going to happen because he just got knocked out by him. The only way Edgar gets a shot is if Max Holloway defeats Ortega. But then, like I said, the winner... but. Frankie has the tiebreaker over Jeremy Stevens if Jeremy Stevens beats Jose Aldo. So I think that if Stevens wins and Holloway wins, I think you're going to see Frankie fight Holloway. If Ortega wins, you're going to see the winner of Stevens-Aldo fight. So I think it's just going to depend on how that title matchup plays out, right? And if Holloway wins, and like I said, if if Holloway wins, I think it goes to Frankie basically is what I'm saying. I don't think because you're not going to want to see Holloway versus Aldo three and Edgar will hold the tiebreak over Stevens because he defeated him before. If Ortega wins, it's going to go to the winner of Stevens and Aldo in short. And Kevin Lee, I don't know, man. I It's going to depend on Connor because Tony Ferguson's going to be out for a while. If Connor doesn't fight, Give this motherfucker Habib. Fuck it. Give it to him. And if not, let him fight Dustin Poirier or Eddie Alvarez for the title eliminator for the next shot. I just think that, especially if if, uh, Habib, this is hypothetical here because I don't know who's going to win this fight. If Habib and Connor were to fight and Habib manages to pull off a win over Connor, then I think you have a hard time booking Habib versus Tony, even if Tony's healthy, over Habib versus Kevin Lee. Just because Ferguson and Habib have shown to you that that fight's very hard to put together. So, but if Connor, I don't know if Lee wants to stay active in the meantime. If so, I think a fight against Poirier and Eddie makes sense if Connor and Habib gets booked. If not, I think you're going to see Lee fight Habib while Tony's on the sideline trying to heal up. Uh, good fight, man. I'm, I, Lee's growing on me, man. I mean, I knew he had a lot of hype come around him coming in, but. He's young. He's got a lot to learn. He's evolving at an insane rate. He's very... I think he's going to be a future champion regardless. It's just going to be like a matter of is he ready to win it now at 25 years old. If he could do that against Habib, any of those guys, if he could hold the title at 155 before he turns like 26, 27, that's an uber impressive. Um, that 155 division man still has a lot of figuring out to do. Um... It's Saturday, so I guess I guess Frank Mir and uh, Oh my god, why can't I think Frank Mir and Fedor are fighting in Bellator tonight, so 
got a couple of legends class in there i'm gonna try to watch that one because i think it'll be fun a lot of years in the making right like i know they're old as fuck but it's still gonna be entertaining that's the thing with bellator they might pull in these old ass guys but things stay entertaining i'd like i just don't know enough about bellator so i usually talk about the ufc because i haven't watched a lot of bellator like i know guys like rory mcdonald michael venom page right uh i know Gay Garden Musasi went over there, but he's from the UFC, just like McDonald is. Douglas Lima is very good. Bellator has an amazing 170-pound division. Maybe, I don't I don't know if it's quite as good as the UFC's, but it's definitely chasing it. It's right on its coattails. Uh, who else is in Bellator? Oh, Michael Chandler is probably, in my opinion, the best fighter in Bellator. He's the best fighter on the roster, in, in my opinion. Uh, him or Rory McDonald, probably. Bellator is very good, and I want to start getting into it more so I can start talking about those fights as well, but I just, like I said, I start I started watching UFC when I was young, and it's pretty. I, I just know the most about it, so I feel comfortable talking about it. And the access to UFC Fight Pass that they released is excellent, because you can go back and learn about guys that you don't know about who have already had fights in the UFC. Um, but I am looking forward to the Bellator card tonight. I think they move, it's going to be on Paramount, which used to be Spike TV, so... If you have cable, it's going to be free. Make sure you check it out. Um, I think that wraps everything up. Uh, we'll be back. The UFC doesn't have a fight card coming up for a couple weeks, so I might rule one of these out next week and just think of some topics to bullshit about for a while. But the next breakdown, I think, will be for the UFC 224 card, if I'm not mistaken. There might be. Let me check. There might be a free one before that card. But I could have swore that... They didn't fight again until like May 5th or some shit. Yeah, it looks like UFC 224, May 12th will be the next one that I'll probably do a breakdown for. But I'll do some like weekly episodes and just bullshit in between there. Maybe try a Bellator card. Well, it doesn't look like it's Bellator, but maybe try one of these smaller cards or some shit just for fun. Just to learn more about it, you know? Anyway, that wraps everything up. Thank you guys for tuning in. Bye-bye.